an episode on rebuilding trust and specifically rebuilding trust after a betrayal. And one of the things that she brought up that she's struggling with with her partner is this philosophy that he has. And we're going to get into this later, but he has this interesting philosophy about rebuilding trust, that trust is given and not earned, which Mark and I both have some thoughts on that. And so we'll get into that in a bit. But I thought it would be good to start off by what is a betrayal? Because when we think of betrayal, most oftentimes, People think of an affair, and that is certainly a major, major betrayal, but there are other types of betrayal that can happen. And just off the top of my head, two that come to mind that people might recognize readily as a betrayal is lying. That's mm-hmm. a big one. Yeah. And, and another one that I would think of a betrayal that I thought of is if you are choosing someone else over your spouse, that can yes. feel like a betrayal. So, you know, yep. maybe there's a conflict going on in the family and your spouse sides with whoever the conflict is going on between instead of you. That's a betrayal. And that really okay. hurts. Yeah. So I've got, I think, 11 or 12 of these. This, this comes from a book called The Science of Trust by John Gottman. And it's a pretty good book, except I'll warn the listeners. He gets into a chapter and it's on game theory. And honestly, I read it and I don't get it. But the rest of the book, I think, is really worth a read. And so it's one of the first times that I really have understood all these different types of betrayal. And you you came up with two of them. So let's just go through this list. A violation of a commitment. So not committing fully to the long-term relationship. And what that means is that I I see couples often where it's kind of like they got one foot in, one foot out, you know, the door is kind of open and they aren't fully committed. And what I try and help couples understand is this is that it's just not going to work very well until you're fully in. And the reason for that is it's emotionally unsafe, I think. And so that uh, destroys trust. I think in order to make a long-term relationship work with trust, you have to trust and be fully on board. You have to be fully committed. And so that's one betrayal. Certainly affairs, emotional, romantic, sexual affairs, which I think also goes into this category of breaking vows or promises. You know, we all make those promises when we get married. It's part of that marriage ceremony. And so, you know, I've I've often been asked, why, why do people have affairs. And in the simplest form, I think the answer is they didn't keep their promise. Yeah. Is what it amounts to. And so not keeping a promise. You mentioned keeping secrets, lies, or deceptions. And then the way he frames the other one you mentioned is coalitions with others against the partner. Mm -hmm. Now, and that actually is I mean, it's fairly common in the couples that I see. And you kind of mentioned, you know, in, in say, a family setting or maybe even a group of friends. And I try and help people know you've got to have each other's backs always. Mm -hmm. And even in a, let's say, a family setting, you may not necessarily agree with what your partner is doing or saying at the moment. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, you've got to be together. And if you need to talk about something, you talk about it at a different time and you bring it up and you say, we need to, you know, talk about this thing that happened. But in that moment, you are each other's biggest cheerleader, biggest fan, and you've got each other's backs. 
Yes. So about a year ago, or more than a year ago now, when Curtis and I were living with our mother-in-law, there was a lot of conflict that ended up happening. And the conflict was mainly between me and my mother-in-law. And thankfully, we've been able to reconcile. We've worked through it all, and we're good now. But it was really hard, and it was really tense. And poor Curtis was definitely stuck in the middle. And, you know, both me and my mother-in-law, we both made mistakes, and we both did things that we shouldn't have. But one of the things that Curtis did is he always took my side. And, you know, sometimes my mother-in-law, she'd get frustrated, like, come on, you know, she's driving me nuts. Like, why can't you be on my side about this? And Curtis would say, because she's my wife. Right. Exactly. That That's all. I mean, it's simple. And I try and help couples understand you change allegiances. Yes. When you get married, your allegiance changes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've grown up with this, these parents. And I think, you know, when the allegiance change, it's it's certainly hardest on the parents. Right. And, and, you know, the sooner you can accept that. And for my children, I want that. I want them to be allied with their marriage partners. I don't mm-hmm. want them to be allied with me because that's that's where the safety and security comes. So, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Another betrayal, disinterest. This kind of goes along with, you know, we just got done talking about the book, The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work. And one of those, it had to do kind of with disinterest, turning toward is what he would call that. And so, you know, if you're never interested in, or even love maps, if you're never interested in, you know, what's going on in your partner's life, I think, I agree. I think that's a betrayal because- Mm -hmm. You want to feel important. You want to feel known. You want to feel seen by yeah. the other person. And it also kind of makes you wonder, is there someone else that's more important to you? Or either that or it comes down to inherent selfishness. Uh, it sounds incredibly right. selfish to only be concerned about what's going on in your own world. And part of being marriage is selflessness. It's not being selfish. Yeah. yeah. I think that's often the case. And, you know, I've said before many times that it. I think it takes about five to ten years to figure out and learn how to be married. And one of those things is if you're coming from a single life and then you go to a married life, that's a transition. I think you have to accept the transition. Single people do not look and behave the way married people do. They look Mm -hmm. and behave differently. So you you have to shift the way you think about your life, which means you're not selfish. Lack of affection, lack of sexual interest. You know, that's a big one because... We make a promise, which we just talked about. So you make a promise when you get married. I will only be sexually active with you. Yep. But then it becomes a problem if later on in the marriage you say, okay, I'm choosing not to be sexually active with you. Mm-hmm. Because that leaves the other person stuck. And so I do think that that is a type of betrayal. Now, you know, we aren't going to go into all the sexual issues that can happen in a marriage, but couples need to figure that stuff out. So instead of just letting it go and saying, okay, I'm not interested in sex with you anymore, you've got to get some help with that. Mm -hmm. And so that is a betrayal. Abuse, certainly emotional or physical abuse. Disrespect, I think, kind of goes along with that. And then the last one that he brings up, Gottman, in his book is not meeting each other's needs. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it comes down to the promises, either explicit or implicit, that we make in that marriage ceremony that we say, we are going to be there to meet your needs when you need me. 
And I have certainly had couples in my office where, for instance, a health issue might arise and the other person isn't available and or isn't there to help out. And that is a betrayal of trust, I think. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting, too, with that, you know, in sickness and in health. Bit, right. Bit. It's it's that type of thing. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of us don't use those terms in our marriage ceremony, but, you know, many people do. But I think it's implied. Right. And it's a commitment we make to be there. Right. And that also makes me think of if, you know, life altering health challenges occur, such as someone becomes disabled or, mm-hmm. you know, incredibly disfigured. And your partner decides that's too much for me. I can't handle and they bail. That's a huge betrayal. That's a huge betrayal. So I think in simplest terms, we could define betrayal as failure to live up to a commitment that we've made. Yeah. In the marriage, because all of these things, I think, you know, keeping secrets, I think, again, we commit to not lying to our partner. So all of these things are things that either we implicitly or explicitly agreed to when we get married and it's a failure to live up to the commitment. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take a minute because I think it's worth talking about trust and what is is trust? (laughs) Yes. What is trust? What does it mean to trust someone? And I don't know if you can, if there is more trust overall in general than marriage. I mean, that is a huge amount of trust because you're trusting this person to remain faithful to you. You are, I mean, you're putting a lot of trust in someone that you may or may not know as well as you could. I don't think it's possible to ever completely know someone. I mean, maybe if you've known this person since a kid, yeah, you probably have a good sense of who they are. But Oftentimes, that's not the case. Oftentimes, we meet someone in adulthood, and we have no idea what their past is like. And sometimes people get married really quickly. Sometimes it takes years. But it's still a big leap of faith to commit yourself to someone. And trust, it's one of those things, and I'm sure everyone's heard this phrase, it's very easy to break, hard, if not impossible, to rebuild. Okay, let's take a quick break, and we will be right back. Hi there, my name is Maya Acosta, and I'm the host of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast, where I explore ways that we can optimize our health. I learned about the field of lifestyle medicine, which uses evidence-based approaches to prevent, halt, and in even some cases, reverse disease. These are lifestyle modalities, such as using certain foods as medicine, using exercise to reverse disease, managing our stress, and even getting adequate sleep. Join me and the amazing people that I get to talk to as I set out to learn how taking better care of ourselves can help us both improve the quality of life and enhance our longevity. Let's get started. Well, I think it's hard. I don't think it's impossible. And we'll go into the the steps that I think are important. But, you know, as far as what is trust, I want to cover a bit of an aside here because you made me think of something it's true you never can know someone completely Mm -hmm. when you get married but I sure think you should try yes (laughs) yes as much as you can and so that's why I'll mention again Robin Smith's book lies at the altar because I think those 270 something questions I think people before they get married couples should go through those 
because you're going to ask questions and think about things that you normally wouldn't or things that you might normally assume. So for instance, one of the big ones is debt. And so one of the partners may have taken on a lot of, say, credit card debt, and then they just didn't talk about it. And then all of a sudden you're married and six months in, you're going, well, what, what's going on? Well, we have to pay off this debt. So I think that trying as best you can to know as much as you possibly can about your partner is a good thing to do before marriage. So trust. So trust, I think, is a belief in the probability that the person you're with, and we're talking about marriage, but it could be anyone, that the person you're with will behave in certain ways. Mm-hmm. So under that is it's a, I think it's mostly about behavior. Yeah. If you think about all those things, the way we talked about betrayal, they're all behavior. Everything is, is expressed in a behavior. So yeah. it's, it's being able to trust in a set of behaviors, you know, set, acting in, in a way that you can depend on. I think it's having confidence mm-hmm. in the other person that they'll be there. Uh, that they will may you know create that security for you the emotional the, the physical security and so in some way you know it's almost like an abstract mental principle or mental idea that we have but it's that belief i think more than anything so if you if you experience a betrayal we often talk about well the trust is broken mm-hmm. and so with lies i think probably as i think about the couples that I see after having an affair, possibly the most common one is lying. And they go together, certainly. I mean, there's always a lot of lying that goes on when you're trying to hide an affair. But I often hear this said, that it's not necessarily that if it's a sexual relationship, it's not necessarily the sex that is the hardest thing to get over. It's the lying. Yeah. And the emotional betrayal i think it's Mm -hmm. you know the emotions can be really hard because how did you get to that point that you're willing to be that emotional with someone well that's a good point because this is a question if i'm working couple where one of them's had an affair the person who didn't have the affair is at some point always going to ask the question did you tell him or her that you loved her Mm -hmm. or him Mm -hmm. and so it's this idea that again Yes, I'm not happy you had sex with someone else, but what really matters to me is, did you say that you love this other person? And that's the betrayal of that intimacy and that commitment to the other person. So I think it is, the line is really big and, and people don't understand how important it is. Even lying, they think, oh, I can lie about little things. The problem with that is that then the partner's always thinking, okay, if he can lie about these little things, what are the big things that he's not telling me, that he or she is not telling me? I don't want to imply it's always men who are lying. Right. Um, because I've, I've seen it about equal from the men and the women. But I, we have talked before about transparency. And in my mind, transparency is you're all honest and open about mm-hmm. everything in your life that you do not hide anything from your partner. And if you ever get to a point where you think, oh, I shouldn't tell my partner whatever it is, that should be this big red flag waving in your face where you say, okay, wait a minute, I'm about to break trust here if I keep this from my partner. It's time to turn tail and run and run back in the direction of your partner and have a conversation (laughs) about it. 
Right. And say, and I think you really need to be self-reflective and say, what is it that I'm doing? Yeah. Why, why do I want to hide? Because typically if you're wanting to hide something, you shouldn't be doing it. Yep. Is yeah. I mean, it's the simplest explanation. And I think, you know, as I think about the examples of couples that I've worked with, that's always the case. Mm -hmm. They are either embarrassed or ashamed. So don't do it. Whatever it is you're thinking about doing, do not do. Yep. So uh, does it, is that a pretty good definition? I mean, there's several definitions in there of trust, but I, I think uh, hopefully that helps listeners understand what trust is. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make a really good discussion on trust. So I also really liked what you said about behavior, because as human beings, we really like consistency and control and consistency are two very important important aspects of our lives. And to be able to have something that you can depend on, that's huge. So when you have complete and total trust in a person and be married to that person, and I think it's something that we should never take for granted is our trust that our partner has in us. Think of it from the perspective of this person that you love and you are devoted to. Would I ever want them to look at me as less of a person because I did something to violate their trust? I think that's mm -hmm. a good question to periodically ask yourself. One of the saddest things that I see is I'll often see single people come in and what what has happened is they've been in a relation, a previous relationship and there was betrayal. Mm -hmm. And so their trust is broken. And sometimes it's so difficult for them that they find it almost impossible to trust anyone else. Yeah. And so they want to get in another relationship because we, you know, we do well in relationships typically, but the previous relationship where there was a betrayal in some way makes it very difficult, sometimes almost impossible for that person to enter into and uh, trust the next, you know, their next partner. And so there are long, long-term effects of betrayals and the break in trust. And that's why I think repair is really important. And so that, you know, the question that our listener posed is, so how do you repair trust? How do you real, how do you rebuild trust? So yes. that, that word of repair is my own, because I think there, I've got four different steps that I think are important in this process. And so the first one, is that for both people in the partnership, you need to shift the negative narrative to a positive one. And I know that seems hard to do, but, and so I'm not talking about, okay, I'll trust you. It's that when you have a betrayal and a break in trust, often it's so easy to go to the negative. Mm-hmm. And that's generally true, even for the person who is the one, say, who had the affair or who did the betrayal. And I think the reason for that is that they start to see the other person more negatively often. It's, it's almost like this unconscious justification for their behavior. Mm -hmm. Both of the partners often are in a negative space or what John Gottman would call that negative sentiment override. And so one of the first things you need to do as you're working at rebuilding trust, which I think you do need to rebuild, is to shift the narrative. Look at the positives. That doesn't mean you're ignoring what happened. It doesn't mean you're ignoring the betrayal and that everything is all right. It, all it means is you're on the road to repair. Now, this might be a good time to go back to 
the so the partner of our listener yeah i had why don't you go ahead and restate again what this partner what he thought about trust so he has his philosophy and this is how mrs x stated it is that trust is given and not earned and when i first read that i thought well i mean given and earned they almost seem synonymous to me and I think they're separate, and I disagree okay. 100% with that. Okay, yeah, let's talk one, about it. I think trust is earned, and then the person okay. gives it. Yeah. I, th- I think it's a two-step process, because the person who committed the betrayal can actually do all the work mm-hmm. to have that consistent, positive behavior, and the person who was betrayed can say, I'm not going to trust you. Yeah, from that so in that way, you have to have both steps. First, I have to earn the trust. And then you're going to decide if you want to give it to me or not. Right. And in this instance, I guess I should point out that we don't know in the instance of Mrs. X, who's the betrayer and who's the betrayed. We don't so, We don't know what the, that's true. And we don't know what the betrayal is. Either. Exactly. Right. And that's why we're trying to do a general you know, discussion of what betrayals are and how you rebuild trust. Yeah. But I just I think it's good to understand that I think this person who thinks it's given only, I think that's really inaccurate and that's never going to work very well. In that statement, I would agree with. I mean, because if you're someone who just trusts over and over and over and over and over, you're going to get run over. You're going to be a very unhappy person because there mm-hmm. is such thing as being too trusting. That, that's true. I agree. You can be too trusting. And so that first step, change the negative narrative to a positive one. If you have negative narratives, it makes it very hard, I think, to rebuild trust. Second step, there's repair and forgiveness that is involved. And it's, I think it's worthwhile to talk a little bit about forgiveness. Now, there's a great book. It's called How Can I Forgive You by Janice Abrams Spring. And it's a book specifically about the a betrayal from an affair. But she uh, talks about four different types of forgiveness. So here are the four different types. The first one is that maybe the person is is never going to acknowledge they did anything wrong and they aren't going to do things that you would say, okay, I can forgive you. Mm -hmm. And so all you're left with is, is acceptance. I don't know that you can forgive or not forgive. You just have to accept that this is the person's behavior. Forgiveness is a social contract. And what I mean by that is if I betrayed you, then I have to do I have to do a couple of steps. One, acknowledge and take responsibility for the for the betrayal. Two, I have to somehow make it up to you in some way. And some sometimes you can't, sometimes you can, mm-hmm. but you have to be willing to make, say, recompense, I suppose would be the right word to say about the betrayal. And then the third step is you say, Can you forgive me? And I'm And my promise to you is I'm not going to do this again. And I think if the other person is willing to engage in that social contract, then you can give what I call genuine forgiveness. And a lot of people give what she calls, she calls it cheap forgiveness. Now, the classic example of this is, oh, you might, a terrible accident might happen. Drunk driver then, you know, kills a little child on the road. And you'll see the parents on the news and they'll say, oh, I forgive this person who did it. That, in my mind, is cheap forgiveness. 
because they haven't entered into that social contract. They've had no contact at all with this person who did this. And so there's no way that they can give genuine forgiveness in that moment. Mm -hmm. I think you have to have those parts of that social contract in order to give, you know, true genuine forgiveness. The fourth type of forgiveness she talks about is actually choosing not to forgive, which again is a choice. You know, the Mm -hmm. person can do all those things, Yes, I I betrayed you. Yes, I did these things. I know it hurt you. And the person has a choice not to forgive. Right. But I think if you're wanting to rebuild trust, you need to go through that repair process. And I think you have to forgive the other person. And I think one of the hardest things about a betrayal is the fact that it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. And that's often the hardest part for maybe both parties to accept. And I think to some degree, everyone can relate to being the betrayer. At some point in our lives, we've all done something. Maybe it was inadvertently, you know, and it was probably when you were young. I mean, I can think of times where as a kid, I did something to a friend that was a betrayal. And I remember just feeling awful about it. And I felt so horrible. And all I wanted was to gain that person's trust back. But that's going to take time. And Mm -hmm. in an instance like this, where you're both grownups and you have grown-up understanding and feelings about this, it's probably going to take even longer. And that can be the hardest part to accept is the fact that it's not going to happen overnight. And it's probably probably not going to happen in the space of a week, maybe not even um, the space of a month. I think it's months. And depending on the betrayal, it could be longer than that. Yeah. But I think that, you know, what you're referring to is trust is a process. And this goes back to, you know, that idea that trust is given. That really implies that it's a switch that you turn on or off. And I don't think that's true. I think that when you're rebuilding trust, it's not like one day you say, okay, now I trust you. It's the whole process over the period of weeks or months that you then regain that trust. So I think that the repair and forgiveness is important. It includes the things we've talked about. Repair includes those steps of really listening well, Mm -hmm. validation, and empathy. I think, you know, those are all things that we've talked about in previous episodes. So the next step, I think, is to determine together what type of behavior change or what type of behavior is necessary in order to build the trust. So another book that I think is really helpful, this is one, again, specifically for affairs. It's called Not Just Friends, and the author is Shirley Glass. It's kind of the classic book, at least for therapists, for rebuilding trust for couples who want to repair after an affair. And she is one of the people who talks about transparency. And so Often it's really hard for us to have transparent lives, but one of the ways you rebuild trust is to say, I'm going to let you know where I am at all times. Mm -hmm. I am going to open up, which I think this should happen anyway, even without the betrayal. I'm going to open up my phone, my emails, my texting. You have access to everything so that you know that nothing is hidden. Now she goes to the extent of saying, if you need to hire a private investigator to follow the person. And this is after the, you know, the repair. And what it is, is you're just making sure that you know where that person is at all times. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people really have a strong reaction to that. I don't because 
I think if you want to rebuild the trust, why not do anything you can? Yeah. And, and if you have nothing to hide, then why do you care? Right. Yep. There are devices nowadays, probably not surprising to anyone, you can stick on a car and you can do it clandestinely. You don't have to tell the person mm-hmm. and you can track them and it'll give you exactly path and time and everywhere that the car goes. If that's what you need to rebuild the trust, the person who committed the betrayal, I think, should agree to that Mm -hmm. because they are also agreeing that they aren't going to hide anything from you anymore. So it shouldn't matter. Right. Yeah. And one of the reactions that people are having is that sounds way too controlling. And it's like, well, you've just made you broke my trust. Yeah. You damage the trust. And so this is what I need to rebuild. Now, every couple is different. Every person who has the trust to rebuild is going to be different. So I'm not saying everybody needs to do this. You need to be able to have a dialogue with each other Mm -hmm. and to be able to come up with these ideas and say, this is what I need you to do in order to rebuild my trust. And that's going to be different for every situation, but you've got to have that conversation so that you have that understanding. And another thing I think that is important for couples to talk about is as you're going through the process is the timeline of how the repair is going, because Mm -hmm. you can certainly fall into this trap where it's maybe the betrayed is holding it over the betrayer's head and they just keep holding it over their head. They don't ever actually forgive. And that can be really tough. And the time really damaging. Yes. And the timeline of how long it's going to take someone to forgive and how long that repair process is going to take is going to be different for every couple and certainly every situation because it depends on the magnitude of the betrayal. But, you know, if you are the betrayer, the one that did the betraying, that's something to be mindful is you need to have a dialogue and say, okay, how is this going? Are are you are we getting there? Do you feel like I am regaining your trust And make sure that it's going in the right direction, because otherwise you can be stuck spending the rest of your life trying to rebuild trust to someone. Right, and that that really doesn't work. And so the way I've seen it in couples is it's about the forgiveness, and they choose not to forgive, even though the partner may have done everything that is necessary to really have that genuine forgiveness. And I think there are a couple of reasons why people do that, why they don't forgive. One, it keeps them in this place, it keeps there a distance between the two partners so that they're protecting themselves from a potential future betrayal and hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you never forgive, then there's always that distance. But I think that also what I've seen is if I choose not to forgive you, then I do have a certain amount of control over yeah. you. And in the end, you want to get to a place where you're, again, it's a reciprocal relationship. And one does not control the other. And so there might be a time where it feels like the person who was betrayed has a little bit more control. But as you progress through the repair process, that has to go away. You have to, again, become more equal. But that I think what where that comes from is from forgiveness for the person right. saying, okay, I do forgive you. Then the last step, I think, so what you've, the third step is determining what behavior is going to be expected. And then the last step is, I was going to say it's the most important. I think they're all important. Consistent and predictable positive behavior from the partner. Yeah. And consistent is really important. You know, over time, 
that person is behaving in that way that they said they would. And in a way that honors the commitments that you've each made in the marriage. And that then you can say, okay, I give you my trust again because you have rebuilt the trust over time. That's why I think it does take time because you have to experience and see that consistent positive behavior from the partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like we what we talked about earlier is dependability and you have to be dependable. Yeah, yeah, it's part of it. And so if if I can't, you know, depend on you, uh, one of the things I think I mentioned is violation of commitment. One of the betrayals is these are small betrayals, but Gottman thinks they add up and that they're really important. And it's the the idea that, okay, I will do this thing for you, or even I will go pick up the kids at five o'clock. And if consistently you don't do that when you said you would, yeah, that he would say is a betrayal because it's a betrayal of a commitment that you've made. And again, so one time, you know, that doesn't really have that big of an effect on the relationship, right? If consistently you're promising to do something and then you don't, that is a betrayal and it destroys trust because the other person can't count on your behavior and your behavior is somewhat unpredictable. Right. Wrapping up trust, I think it's about forgiveness, repair, forgiveness, shifting away from a negative narrative to a positive one defining in an explicit way the behaviors that need to happen and then for the person